This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Michael Smith Jr. and Tiang Liang Fu, partners from Seed Plus. We discuss their recent closing of US $20 million for their fund, their daily lives as venture capitalists, and their thoughts on the startup ecosystem across Southeast Asia. Hi, Smitty, and hi, Tiang. Hello. I'm going to start off because I know Smitty have been spoken in my podcast twice, so I'm going to first get Tiang to introduce. Twice already. <laughs> yeah, here's the third, third time. So, Tiang, I want to start off with you. You are Tiang Liang Fu, operating partner for Seed Plus, but I think it's also very interesting to talk about your background. Maybe you want to start off by talking about background first? So, well, I'll just work backwards chronologically. And I apologize because a little bit of morning sinus, so I'll try to speak up. So, operating partner at Seed Plus, prior to you know, joining this rocket, I was previously with uh, this company called Evernote. You know, a note taking company that you might know. I'm still using Evernote today. Great. Always it's still on my home screen. It always brings a tear to my eye right, yeah. to, to do that. So started the operations here in Singapore back in 2012 and grew the team, built the team, you know, and subsequently built out a business from here across uh, you know, Southeast Asia, Australia, India, Korea, Taiwan. So that's been a pretty wonderful, interesting journey. You know, it consists of really launching new products and building out different functions or corporate functions of the, of the business unit here. Before that, you know, uh, early founding team of a mobile payment startup here uh, in Singapore as well. You know, work on a product, did it for two years. It became a learning experience, as I would like to call it. But it was early days, you know, we were actually one of the first companies who moved into Plus 21 when it was, you know, announced. It was, it was an interesting time period as well. But I really started off my life as an engineer, right? That's my background. I was a mechanical engineer in, uh, by training. So pretty interesting transition since then. And like a modern Singaporean, you forgot to tell everybody you were actually running Evernote in the Asia-Pacific region. So what ended you up in venture capital? Pretty accidental, actually, to be honest. You know, like what happened was toward the end of 2015, leadership changed, with, which impacted the strategy internationally. So. Last month was actually me going around Asia, you know, seizing operations in, in, in various forms and format. At one point, I was selling office furniture I kept on carousel. <laughs> so, that was fun. Chairs. Not too fun. fun. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, chairs, you know, Apple monitors and all that stuff. So, so that happened. I really took a few months off trying to, like, figure out what to do next, you know, in having a lot of conversations with different companies and all that. And Abit from Jungle Ventures reached out. Right, he dropped me a, a message on Facebook saying that hey, I read a press release, heard that you're available now, do you wanna have a do you wanna have a chat? So we talk, makes sense, and to be honest, even at that point I I, I know of obviously I know what VC is, right? But it's such a interesting and opaque industry that you don't really know how it actually works until you're in it. So I would say like pretty accidental that way I didn't go out of my way to say that I want to be a VC, but no, that happened. So pretty thankful for that opportunity, for sure. So I am here because, Smitty, you have something to talk about this week, right? I think it sort of swamped out the whole news week for Singapore venture capital scene. So what happened? Prior to the Gojek funding, 
we were the biggest news in town, I think. So we, I guess in, in VC term, we closed the fund. Now some people, it's funny when you say that, they said, oh my gosh, you guys are out of business already? And I'm like, no, we didn't close, we closed the fund. So as everybody knows, you open your funds, you raise your money from LPs, and then you have a certain amount of time to finish and close. So we closed officially last Friday. So I guess it's been a week since closed. We can tell you the numbers. This is the first time that we've given out the official number. So you have the exclusive here, Bernard, and it's 20 million USD, and which is above target. Uh, so the target was something around 18 million USD. So yeah. we're over target, and that's been pretty fantastic. I think for all of us is kind of first timers at this. Now, I don't think all of us will say we're the sole cause of closing over target. As you know, we're part of the Jungle Ventures family and, and it's a kind of a shared fundraising team, mm -hmm. but still pretty fantastic to have a, a first fund that has the type of LPs that we have. I think we'll get to that a little bit and who closed over target and super exciting to kind of get to the next phase, which is put that chapter behind us and really just focus on deploying capital. So congratulations on Seed Plus uh, closing of the 20 million fund, US 20 million fund. So I think probably to help my audience a bit as well, Seed Plus is current, the venture fund itself is currently catered to actually build startups into the Series A, Series B stage from the pre-seed stage. And it's also linked to Jungle Ventures, which I think last year they have raised 100 million from their LPs as well. Yeah. So probably the first question I probably want to get your thoughts are, what will be specifically your fund is going to be focusing on what are you thinking about and what will be the areas that you are going to be zooming in deep because I know you also talk a little bit about internet of things as well yeah. along the way yeah so we I mean we're, we're pre-seed or generally like pre-a pre-revenue something like that seed stage right and we I think first and foremost we try to look for tech companies right and what I mean by that is there's a product you build something there's code we're not looking for people that are just kind of wiring some off-the-shelf things together and call it a service or something like that. So I think first and foremost, we kind of look for product. We definitely have themes. I won't dive into them like super deep, but B2B is definitely more interesting for us as early stage than B2C. The theory there is just we like things that your a lot of the money goes into the product and engineering versus like in typical B2C fashion, a lot of money will go into marketing. We like things around AI, machine learning, natural language processing, because we think these are all pretty core pieces to the internet and, and kind of the plumbing for business services. We like things around the tools and the white spaces around kind of what I, I generally call like employment, because as we know, the world's changing around this. Like if you read the CFE thing from Singapore, I, I was pretty proud of Singapore to put a stake in the ground just to admit that the world is rapidly changing and it's, it's you know, what people do for work five, 10 years from now could be vastly different. And so we think there's tools and marketplaces and services around the evolution of work and kind of how those might help. So we think that's pretty interesting. We're more of a, what I call, I guess in America, we would call this the, the gold digger play or the pick and shovel play. But I guess what we mean is all the pieces that you use to build things. So you could be building an e-commerce site. You could be building something we're not super interested in, but then there's somebody that you're using their tool or their framework from. So we kind of call this the enablement or picks and shovels play. We're very interested in that. And that's everything from security to things to help you do better in e-commerce, stuff like that, payments. 
that would be an example of it. We just think there's a lot of change happening in just the way marketplaces work, so we find that interesting. So we had some high-level themes, but I think because we're new at this, let's be honest, we we're, we're pretty interested in just meeting people and talking, and you know, I think through serendipity you find some interesting things, but we do focus them on... I think what we think, what is product and what is tech. Okay, so I specifically wanted to ask is, who are the LPs to the fund? I think you had mentioned some of them in your press releases yeah. as well. Yeah. Maybe before that, right? Maybe just abstract that a little in, in saying that what really attracted me to to C plus and the, the investment philosophy behind it. Away, I want to extract that a little bit away from the strategy is that like Smidia has mentioned, like in general, things are changing here in nature. And I think like at its core, we believe that we are able to start to build some pretty global companies from here. Uh, the talent pool is here, the, the, there's access to market from here. You know, The ecosystem is small, but there is opportunity for us to really help nurture that a little bit from here. And tying that back into the LP question that you, you've asked, you know, that's the reason why we are pretty selective in choosing and onboarding some of these LPs. Some of the names include uh, Cisco, right? Uh, it's an LP into the fund. Edwards from Fidelity is an LP into the fund. IFC is an LP in the fund. And these are institutional investors with technology background, global foot- footprint that we believe that will be supremely helpful mm. to some of the uh, startups and companies that we work with, both in terms of like possible downstream investment Know, as well as uh, partnership and distribution beyond just you know the Singapore shores, right? That that aligns, I think, throughout the the entire I guess existence and the why of the fund. I, I have this interesting opportunity today to talk to you too because I have actually interviewed a lot of venture capitalists over the years and through the podcast. So one thing I'm really very curious to ask both of you, what is the daily schedule of a partner in C++ for you guys? As in, what do you actually do as a venture capitalist? I'm sure there's a lot of young aspiring guys out there who wants to be venture capitalists, you know, but they don't really know where to get to them. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> Smee likes to say that it's so easy to get these. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's funny, it's what, 9.30? It was tough even getting in here this morning because usually I think we come in around 11, 11.30. That's how we come. Yeah. No, I like to joke that the actual... <laughs> I like to joke that the actual motion of work is actually pretty simple, right? You read emails, you reply emails, you copy and paste, right? That's really not much going on. You meet people, you, you get to meetings, you get out meetings. That's it, I think, like, it's pretty... I wouldn't say there's a fixed routine, just as... It's interesting because, like... Well, I read this quote somewhere. I think it was Brett Feld who said this, right? You know, he's generally I'm generally a happy person, right? Just that different days I'm de- dealing with different f ups, right? <laughs> you know, and different degrees of f ups. That's kind of how it feels like in in a day almost, yeah. right? It's a, I don't know. I think everybody probably has a different routine. Like we don't. I mean, we definitely have standing meetings for like, you know, every Tuesday we do deal flow where we get together and discuss where we're at with some deals yeah. and all the people we we kind of have a what I call like a hub and spoke methodology for the way we work like TM's out there meeting whoever and whomever during the week that's in his network I'm doing that Gabriel's doing that Chiaro's doing that and like that's just the way we function right but then of course you need to come together and have some specific times to meet everything from portfolio review time to you know working with companies so I'm kind of a manic scheduler, so I'm probably different than other people, but, you know, and I'll hat tip here to Mimetic, which is the EV software 
honestly like saves my life because I go in and block time. So I, I do have white space for myself because I just tell her she can't schedule it. And then we have the other standing meetings and then I have time that I've specifically chosen to like do internal stuff. So I'm pretty much a scheduler, but with that in mind, I leave white space so that my entire week can't get filled up. And then that allows me the, you know, serendipitous coffee meetings or someone goes, oh, I've come to town and I want to meet you because that happens a lot. And if you're completely blocked, you're not going to have time for these people because you do have to make time for, I think, random conversations because I found a lot of what has happened with us that's been good has been through randomness, not through the things that we've driven towards, so to speak. Yeah, but just a note to add to that though, I think it, again, playing to the, playing to your theme around, right, it's so, it's so easy to get busy, right? I think one thing that I've learned since coming on board is also to really consciously schedule what I call deep work time. And it could, it could be like just committing to reading a article that you know you, you, you really want to read that's accumulating on your pocket list, right? But I see you laughing there because I'm pretty sure you're afflicted by the same uh, syndrome. I thought that's where stuff goes to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I think it's interesting because I think one one of the things that people have this misconception that actually VCs have a lot of time and what they really just do is listening and talking to startups and deciding whether they want to put the money there and of yeah. course there's a lot more work as well if you're a very good venture capitalist there's a lot of things to be done on top of that and I think I will ask Tiang since you're the operating partner yeah. specifically can you discuss a little bit about your role as an operating partner and how do you actually work with startups because I think this is something that people don't see what the venture capitalists really do. Yeah. Right, right. No, I think you point out a pretty interesting fact that, you know, it's not just going or, you know, sitting around and listening to pictures, right? Of course, we do a lot of that. But, no, I like to tell people that the real world begins post-investment, right? And what I mean by that is, like, you know, capital is just probably day zero of the, of the journey. The real journey starts after that when you think about how to go to market, how you build products, how you hire, how to... How do you build culture, right? So it's a lot of company building work. That speaks to again like the way we like to operate as a team as well. Our backgrounds were all, you know, we were executives from different startups and tech companies. It's in our muscle memory to really want to build things. So that's how we partner, you know, founders, you know, the executive teams of startups as well. And it can get pretty tactical sometimes, right? Another perspective I'd like to share here is that you know one of the reasons why we don't run workshops or invest by cohort is also we believe that every company exists in a unique space and time right that also means that you know at every time you're dealing with a founder with different personality needs and traits the company is going through different problems and different life cycles for example it could be like i'm launching a new feature two weeks from now how do we do branding positioning you know which pr agency should we call and that's where we can come to help you know, I have a product management problem, right? How do you help me think through this, right? Or I'm good at fundraising, right? And this could exist in different points in time. So that's how we look at companies, right? So I want to put this question to both of you. Sure. What are the difficult tasks that venture capitalists need have to do with their startups? I mean, I think probably there's a follow-up question to this, but I want to hear your thoughts first. So I think, again, that it's very bespoke, right? So we're, what, five companies in or five deals in. And I, and I think to your thing about the time management, too, it, I sometimes feel like it's a snowball. It's getting bigger. Because as you keep deploying more cash and managing things, you have more things to deal with, right? But I think with every startup, it's different, it's right? Kind of like working yourself 
took more work. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> with the startups, right? Like they all need something that I guess you could say is the same in some regard, right? Everybody's looking to recruit. Everybody's looking to raise more capital when it's the right time. Everybody's looking to grow their business. So there's all these things that you're doing that are, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but they're the normal kind of pattern, right? Like, hey, I'm trying, we know you need a CPO, we know, so we're looking for people and we're trying to foster, you know, and a lot of times people realize, like, I'm constantly meeting with people because they might be a good employee for startup A, something like that. There's that side of it. There's the, we know you'll need to raise money eventually and we start working with you on how to do that and put the plan around that. There's the, maybe this biz dev deal with that guy is great, maybe this one is problematic, you know, there's growing your market, so to speak. So I think these are the, the normal patterns that every startup's going through, but then I think you would want to layer onto that, that each startup's going to have travails, right? They're going to have problems, they're going to have outages, somebody's left the company, they're going to have a deal that fell apart, they're going to be struggling with product market fit. In those cases, it's, it's super bespoke, right? It's one, be available to them, like just as people. I think one of the things that I, not doing enough of, but I should, and back, you know this when you were a startup guy or any one of you, that there's some lonely moments <laughs> where yep. even though you have a team and maybe even have a husband or a wife and even you have a family or friends, there's still these lonely moments and there's not many people you can take those moments to. And so one of the things we try to be is that person for the team so we can say, I know you're having a crappy week, you have to lay some people off or something, you know, would a beer help, would a coffee help, would just bitching for an hour help, because I'll listen, right, so something like that is very important, right, so all these travails, I think, are a bespoke, you know, they're not patterns, right, you just have to go in and help people, and I think these are the ones that just kind of come and go, and hopefully they don't come a lot, but they definitely come, and you just help people out, right. Yeah. One interesting question that we haven't really touched on is that you actually have been operating for a year, and I know in the last conversation I had with Smitty, he mentioned some companies. Since then, are there any more interesting companies? I know recently you all funded a company called Homage, right? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, we if we go back to the beginning of time, I guess we can, you know, recap a little bit. So there's Moglix out in India. It's like a MRO slash marketplace, quite interesting. As everybody knows, the kind of demonetization of India and also the advent of GST, they've had this amazing inflection point where we're one of the software products where a lot of big factories and stuff weren't even using software. They're now using Moglix, and now that Moglix can offer them the capability of tracking GST. So these guys have already raised C from us. They raised an A. And little birdies in the Ethernet tell me that they're working on a B. So this one's pretty interesting for us because it's seed to B in, in the span of time that we've all been around, right? So that, that's pretty amazing. Another company, Apnox, they were from JFDI, actually. People may remember them being around Singapore. Based in India, spent some time with us. Now back in India after spending like a period of time with us. It's a security product growing well in India and just kind of trying to figure out how to conquer the globe, so to speak. Another company that actually sits with us is called Stack, which is a F&B product. Not just F&B, but like a we kind of call it blue collar stuff or service oriented industry product for employers to manage and kind of help employees with process. So stacks here. And then the fourth deal is Mimetic. I think people more know about EV. Praveen just spoke at InnoFest. It's what we all use to schedule our calendars and that one's clipping along pretty well. It's probably one of the first real kind of AI NLP products in Singapore. So I know right now everybody's got 
the crazy fandom going on around AI and stuff like that. But these are one of the first guys to actually start a company in Singapore around it and do it. They're doing well. And then, yeah, the latest deal is Homage, which is, you know, an elder care marketplace. So it's to help people book time to get people to help them in their company. So those are the, the five, right, which I guess from the time we started raising the fund, as everybody may not know in VC land, you actually have to start writing checks. So the checks were being written as we're kind of collecting more cash, which also means now we have kind of five companies to work with as well as find more deals. And that's where you get back to time management. If you think it's not important, is actually pretty important because there is just kind of too much to do, so to speak. On top of the fact, you got to think about, you still got to kind of work with and, and interact with your LPs, right? You got to have a team of people to work with, even our own team, and we got to keep finding more deals. So if you look at that constant <laughs> cycle, yeah. it can be quite busy, right? Yeah, I mean, in some sense, it corresponds to the life cycle of the fund as well. That's right. right. We're currently in active investment period. You know, as we have more you know, companies in our portfolio care, and gradually, I think the dynamic will shift towards really helping some of these companies succeed as well. I think it's a, it, we're at this inflection point ourselves as well to see how can we also provide more workflows, processes, and really systematically help portfolio companies. Now that we're five, right, soon to be six, seven, eight. So that's part of the consideration as well. Yeah, I know you guys, the C plus is based in Singapore, but you actually deal with markets that's totally outside Singapore. Looking at, like, for example, Moglix is actually handling the Indian market and then it goes somewhere outside of this nice little island. Yeah. When you think about Southeast Asia as a whole, how do you actually help startups to prioritize how they think about their expansion? I think this is a question that not a lot of people really address and think about. Well, I think like number one bush is always go to where your customers are, right? You know, because I think there's always a false sense of success when startups say that, oh, we've raised X amount of funding, Series A, new special over headlines in Tank Asia, or what have you. But forgetting that that's just a milestone, right? The fundamentals of business is still true, right? Go to where your customers are and correspondingly where your markets are. If you're building a takeover stress as an example, if you're building something like homage, right, the demand here is really apparent, right, the business is here. Of course, you spend time building out the core of your business here, right, but at the same time, thinking about where similar needs are, say, for example, could it be in Japan, right, Hong Kong, what have you. But if it's something like an app knocks, by definition, it's a virtual product, it should be, if not regional, at least global, no, if not global, at least regional, right, there's no reason for you to just focus on you know, just India, just Southeast Asia, just US, right? So uh, I think it's the nature of markets and, and customers. I have recently taken a look at the recent acquisitions and exits for Southeast Asia, and I actually constructed an entire look on that. And, I, and one of the interesting things that came to my mind is that... Uh, <laughs> the exit seems to favor profitability over growth and traction, very unlike the Chinese and the US market. Definitely you can't do what Uber is trying to do, maybe sometimes Grab is doing the exception. Yeah. I want to get your sense about how do you balance this kind of perspectives for looking at startups at your fund. We all have different views of thinking about this, but I think it's also good to get your reflection over what you think about this market. Is it that because investors are so conservative that they don't want to take the leap of faith to burn money? That's why it, it always that you reach a certain point, the growth just stopped and actually profitability is actually important. 
Yeah, well, that's a can of worms. I think you have to have an eye towards building a sustainable business first and foremost, which I think is important because generally you always have outliers, right? So if we describe a grab or even I would proffer a carousel and a few people as outliers that, you know, I think everybody, it's not a secret. Carousel has massive growth and what sounds like very little, but maybe growing revenue, but they have had great funding tranches, right? So I guess they're, I think they're being funded for growth, right? So that one probably doesn't quite fit your thesis. But then there's some other ones that are being funded because of revenue and profitability. But I think we generally as seed investors will be honest and tell you that we look for things that can create a viable business. I think back to your other question when you talked about the region, we also try to be very pragmatic about what that means. And if someone comes to you and says, oh, I go to these countries and there's a lot of hand waving, you're kind of like, okay, is Thailand one of them? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna launch in Thailand. Which cities in Thailand, right? So we get down to like metropolitan areas. And then if we do stuff around that dirty word market sizing, the market sizing for us will generally be metropolitan areas and really trying to understand that if this company keeps going on and keeps growing, is the potential revenue from all these areas substantial, right? Because if you can kind of do the napkin math and, and actually show that it's not very substantial, these probably aren't great businesses, right? Now, maybe then that they have another side to them where they have some amazing growth trajectory besides taking in the revenue, but that's not usually the norm, right? Again, those are the outliers that obviously have different rules is the way I like to look at the business right. with how they get funded and how they get treatment. So, yeah. so Rishi Gar, former cop dev at Twitter, now at Mayfield, he actually said something really interesting at the recent, I think it was launch festival where he said this. Because, I mean, we're, we're in the business of investing in exceptions, right? You know, the, but the reality is that 80% of the value created is actually through m and right? So one, one perspective to take here you know, definitely is that how can startups you know, get very good at the M&A process from day zero as well? Of course not saying that you shouldn't build something that's valuable, you shouldn't do something that customers want, right? You know, ultimately, you still need to create value, but what's a way to realize that value? Right? I think that's, that's one way to think about it. So I don't think like, the maturity of the ecosystem is it's there, it's getting there, but it's not there yet. Which also means that it's, I see it as our responsibility to kind of educate and work with our founders. Because if you listen to that guy's, I think I posted on my blog his video, it's quite good. And what he was trying to explain to startups is, one, startups are sold, they're not usually bought. Meaning the startup's job is to foster relationships with literally the core dev teams. Sounds like bought, not sold, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, but the idea is that you have to actively work to sell them you know yeah. and you have to and I think this region still learning how to do that because yeah. if you take one who are your active buyers suddenly the list is changing right like you know it used to be the local big guys or maybe the core but now you know your series B C's and D's companies are, are buying other companies right I think you know there's been a few grab I don't know what the tally is on grab it's not off talked about but I think grabs made a bump, bunch of acquisitions they just don't PR every single one of them, right? So with their kind of cash they're buying, obviously the, you know, you know, rumor was Amazon tried to buy something. So new players are coming to town, Google bought something. So suddenly the list of 
potential buyers, which literally seven years ago was practically non-existent, except for maybe the Yahoo's of the world, one of the early people to try this, suddenly is getting bigger. And then now, you know, look at what's happening in, in Indonesia. Like, you know, China's essentially buying up Indonesia left, right, and center, yeah. right? And actually, Thailand is interesting too, right? Because Tencent's been active in Thailand. Active in Thailand, you know, yeah. some of the major portals are Tencent, gaming portals are Tencent. Yeah. Media is Tencent. What's interesting there is they're all the ones that NASPER has funded, <laughs> and then Tencent yeah. picked them up, right? Because mm-hmm. um, NASPER owns a lot of Tencent. Yes. Okay. So I think that's going to create more, but I still think you have to actively learn how to sell your company into these situations and get them bought, right? And then we'll see what happens as that changes. So. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for congratulations again on the Thank news. You. And but we always have to go with one more thing. Right. <laughs> I want to ask you all separately first. I will ask Mili first. Yeah. How, how and Tiang as well. How do my audience find both of you? Yeah, I think the best for me is, I guess probably Twitter because I'd like to see my count go up. I kind of get excited about that. Um, and I'm, I'm beating Tiang right now, so I'm pretty happy about that. Or on my blog, so it's easier now, cbc.blog. That way you don't have to try to pronounce my old blog name. So those are the two places to find me. Great resource, by the way. Smini always post some interesting links that I find out. Yeah. It's something I'm trying to keep up, but I just can't. <laughs> but I'm on, tw- I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, Twitter handle is at T-I-A-N-G-L-I-M. M as in Malaysia. So that's my Twitter handle. Um, I have a blog, but I don't really update it that frequently. So just on his birthdays, <laughs> just on birthdays, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where you can find me. I think just drop me a tweet. And you can find me at Asia. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and TuneIn, and of course Google Play in the US market. Of course, recommend us on Overcast or uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and drop me a comment from time to time and I'm always there. So uh, once again, uh, Smitty and Tiang, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Keep on the good work.